Now I want to read just a short portion of God's word as we find it in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 11. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest lest any man fail after the same manner, the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and to the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched the feeling of our infirmities, but was at all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The story is told of the famous television cook, Michael Smith. On one occasion he was given a demonstration to his audience. And as he was given the demonstration he was pouring some custard, dried custard. And he said in passing, none of the bird's eye custard here and after the break in the proceedings they took him to one side and they said Michael you have to apologise because Mrs Bird is in the audience (laughs) so after the second part of the demonstration he apologised and then he said well Jokingly, I should have said none of brown and Poulson's powder, custard. And then at the end of the demonstration, they took him again aside and they said, Michael, Mrs. Poulson is also in the audience. And of course, the moral of that story is simply this. Sometimes you never know who you're speaking to. And Michael didn't realise that Mrs. Bird and Mrs. Poulsen was in that audience. And this was greatly illustrated when there was a congregation, about 200 people gathered, and as they came into the meeting, they were each given a blank piece of paper. And during the service, the preacher got up And he said, you have all received a blank piece of paper. I want you to put on that piece of paper one problem that you have at this particular time. No names, just one problem that you've got to put it on that blank piece of paper. Out of a congregation of about 200 by what a revelation there was of the problems 
represented in that audience. Let me read some of them to you. One Puerto, an alcoholic father. Another, brother doesn't speak to me ever. Another, deep spiritual depression. Compulsive gambling. Feeling distant from God. Brother on drugs away from home. Totally out of the blue, a close relative was recently jailed for child molesting. Another, my life is a lie. Someone put, the young man I love is entrenched by alcohol and drugs. My heart aches to see the depths he has sunk to. Another one put, broken marriage. Another one, a constant barrage of immoral thoughts. Another one, just one word, leukemia. Someone put, isolation. I feel untouched, humanly speaking, by another living soul. Here's a sad one. After 64 years worshipping in a certain church, I have been ostracized by many members. There's 14 examples of the problems represented in that congregation of 200 people. You see, friends, behind the smiling faces, behind the singing of the hymns, behind the clapping of the hands, there were those problems. Behind that smile, behind that facade, behind that veneer. And I wonder, dear friends, this evening, if when you came into this meeting, a blank piece of paper was given to you, and if I was to stand up and say, I want you this evening to put on that blank piece of paper just one problem that you've got at this particular time. I just wonder what you would have put on that blank piece of paper. You see, dear friends, behind the smile, behind the facade, behind the veneer, there are problems that I don't know about, the ones sitting beside you don't know about, but you know this evening what those problems are. We're here this evening and we are in each other's presence. We're glad to see each other. We've had a cup of tea, we've had a cup of coffee, we've been chatting, blethered as you say here in Scotland. But there was someone else here. You can't see him. But he's here. Because he said that where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And who's that? None other than the Son of God himself. 
by the power of his spirit. And let me say four things about this person in whose presence we are this evening. Four very simple things. And here's the first one. He knows. You can deceive me. You can bluff me. You can turn the word over my eyes and each other's eyes. But the one in whose presence we are this evening, you can't bluff. You can't deceive. You can't put the word over his eyes. Because he looks right into your mind, into your heart, into your soul, into your spirit. And he knows exactly what you're going through at this precise moment in time. I don't know. Graham doesn't know. Sandy doesn't know. But the Lord knows exactly your problem this evening. Here's what David said. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know my downsetting. You know my uprising. You know my thought afar off. There's not a word in my tongue, but you know it all together. Here is someone and he knows exactly what you're feeling tonight. He knows exactly your problem, your difficulty, your anxiety. He knows you completely. My dear friends, that can be very terrifying, but at the same time it can be very comforting. Here's someone who really and truly knows at this moment of time your problem. You might hide it from others, but you can't hide it from him. Because the Bible says the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks on the heart. You're just like an open book tonight. He can flick the pages over. And he knows exactly your position and problem and difficulty this evening. I don't think for a second that you're here by chance or by luck or by faith. No, friends. God has brought you to this meeting this evening because he wants to speak to you. He wants to communicate to you. He wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to change your life because he knows exactly your problem, your difficulty. But not only does he know, but here's the amazing thing, he loves you. In spite of your problems, in spite of your difficulties, in spite of your sin. Now I would venture to say that if you knew the worst about me, there's every possibility you may not like me anymore. And in fact, Graham may give him my P45 and they say, we don't want you to come again. We thought you were a lovely lad. But uh, all these things we have discovered about you, bye-bye, don't ever come again. You see, if we knew the worst about each other, and you wives, you think you know your husband, ah, but you don't. If you knew the worst about him, would you still love him? And you husbands, you think she's wonderful, she's think, you think she's lovely. 
She's your princess, but if you knew the worst about her, her problems are difficult, would you still love her? Ah, perhaps you may not. But here is someone tonight in whose presence we are, and he knows the worst about you. The worst about you. All your problems, your sinfulness, and yet he loves you. Isn't that absolutely staggering? Isn't that amazing? He loves you with an everlasting love. I think of, the, of what the Apostle Paul says, you remember in Galatians 2.20, he says, The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Every time I read that verse, I almost get the thought, I wonder, was Paul writing those words with tears flowing down his cheeks? Why? Because there was a time in his life in which he hated and detested Jesus Christ. And he had no time for Christians. He sought to exterminate them. He sought to annihilate them. He sought to wipe them off. He sought to destroy them. He had no time for them. And in his heart was bitterness and animosity and hatred towards Jesus and towards Christians. Ah, but on the road to Damascus something happens. He thought he was fighting a bunch of insignificant Christians. He did realize that he was fighting someone far greater. And he's approaching Damascus with letters of authority from the Sanhedrin Council to arrest Christians and to persecute them. When suddenly, and you know, let me just stop there, sometimes that's how God does things. He doesn't send you a phone call, doesn't send you a letter, but just suddenly he steps in. And at midday, suddenly, Paul, heard, Paul saw a great light from heaven. And he was struck to the ground. And he heard the audible, the audible voice of Jesus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. Saul was devastated. He says, who are you, Lord? And back came the answer, Jesus of Nazareth. Who? Jesus? But they crucified him. They crucified him. And lo and front, he was confronted to, not with Christians, but with the living Christ himself. And he was gloriously and wonderfully and eternally converted, changed. The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Sometimes I have to read modernistic books to find out what people's thinking. And sometimes I have to smile when... You try, but they try to explain the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. Because, friends, if you can't, if you don't accept the supernatural, you've got to try to explain it naturally. Ah, they say, that's not what the Bible says, that Saul was this great shade. Oh, no. Here's what happens. It was a very warm 
day. The sun was very hot, it was beaming down, and what happened? Saul suffered a wee bit of sunstroke. That's the explanation. Sunstroke, that's the explanation. Psychologically, not spiritually. And then someone else said, well, no, no, it wasn't sunstroke. What happened was this. It was uh, a dose of uh, epilepsy. Ah, that's it. Epilepsy. That explains the change in his life. Now think of what the great Spurgeon said when he heard this explanation so-called. He said, oh, blessed, blessed epilepsy. That can change sinners into saints and persecutors into preachers. Oh, Lord, said it's a great dose of epilepsy. No, my dear friends, it wasn't sunstroke. It wasn't epilepsy. It was nothing less than an encounter with the living Christ. And Saul was converted the son of God who loved me this creature who persecuted his Christians he loved me and he gave himself for me a dear friend this evening yes he knows and he loves you you this evening as if you were the only person in the world there's a population of over 7 billion people for God so loved the world that's a big world seven, over 7 billion people but bring it down to the individual bring it down personally God so loved you you, you, me that makes the difference doesn't it the son of God who loved me gave himself for me you Scottish folks know the old 23rd Psalm? Of course you do. Good Scottish folks. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He didn't say the Lord is a shepherd. Or the Lord is the shepherd. Or the Lord is our shepherd. Oh no. He says the Lord is my, my shepherd. Can you say that this evening? Not the Lord is a shepherd or the shepherd or our shepherd. But can you say yes. He's my Shepherd, he's my friend. He knows, he loves. But here's the third thing, and this is wonderful. He cares. He cares. Here's what Peter says casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you is that wonderful the great God of the universe who made the galaxies the sun, the moon, the stars the... he cares for you and he cares for me what you say Stanley how do I know he cares for me well dear friends here's the greatest proof here's the evidence he didn't just shout from heaven, I care for you. He proved it. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That's the proof. That's the evidence. And he sent him to the cross. We sang it this evening. To die for you, to die for me, 
to forgive your sins and thy sins. My dear friends, may I say very graciously, you can reject him. You can turn your back upon him. And you can pass from time into eternity without him. But there's one thing you will not say. He never loved me. He never cared for me. That you can never say. Because he loves you. And he cares for you this evening. He knows. He loves. He cares. But here's the fourth thing. Very wonderful. He can beat your deed. He can solve your problems. Now I don't know what your problems are this evening. You know. Whatever they are. They're not too big for God. He can beat your deed this evening. Now you may have a financial deed. You may have a spiritual need. You may have an emotional need. But whatever the need is, here was someone who can meet that need. Who can solve that problem. Don't you think your problem's too big? It's not. Here's someone who has the ability to change and transform your life. He did it for Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul. He did it for Graham. He did it for Sandy. He did it for so many at this meeting tonight. And he wants to change your life. Now, he won't give you a new starter in life. He'll give you a new life to start with. Because the Bible says, if any man be in Christ... Or any woman be in Christ, he or she is a new creation. All things are passed away. All things have become new. You see, dear friends, there are some of us tonight and we've got two birthdays. And some have only got one. Now, have you got only one birthday or have you got two? Now, I was born away back in 1900 and made your own business. <laughs> that was my physical birth. And every time of the year I celebrate it. That's my, phys- I've got, that's my first birthday. But I've got a second one. Away back in 1953, as a young lad in the city of Belfast. On a Sunday night at about half past nine, I went in my bedroom, I got upon my knees and I said, Oh Lord, save me, save me, make me one of your children. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And because I did that, I have a second birthday. I've got a physical birthday. And I've got a spiritual birthday. They tell me, how many birthdays do you have? Just one? Way back, whatever it is? Or have you got two this evening? The good news is, you can leave this meeting not just with one birthday, but blessed be his name, hallelujah, you can leave with two birthdays. Now there's some things we do in life that we regret. I look back upon my life 
And there are some things I, I regret. I've made mistakes and I still make mistakes. But there's one thing I have never, never regretted. But I ask Jesus Christ to be my Savior and my Lord. I have disappointed him. He has never disappointed me. I have failed him. He has never failed me. And what he's done for this poor creature before you, he can do for you this evening. Young person this evening, older person, middle-aged person. He can change your life. I rejoice in the universality of the gospel. Now, you know, it suits the English, any English people in the meeting tonight. Oh, we've got one. Oh, we've got two. Well, this salvation, it suits the English. Why? Because they can talk about it. English people, they love to talk about it. It suits the English because they can talk about it. And it suits the Welsh people, and I'm married to a Welsh woman, and it suits the Welsh because they can sing about it. It suits the Irish, and I'm from Northern Ireland, and it suits the Irish because we can fight about it. <laughs> we'll fight over the love of God any time. <laughs> So it suits the English because they can talk about it. Suits the Welsh because they can sing about it. Suits the the, the Irish because they can uh, fight about it. And you know it suits the Scots people. Why? Because it, they get it for nothing. <laughs> it, it, does, it doesn't it doesn't cost it doesn't cost them a penny. <laughs> Now, have you heard the story of the Upper Dog? Anybody from Ab- uh, anybody from Aberdeen? Oh dear! Oh dear! My apologies in advance. These two Aberdonians uh, in the house turned on the radio, listened to the church service. Uh, then the minister said, "We shall lift the offering." And then these two Aberdonians they turned the wireless off. <laughs> now, may I say, dear friends, I have lived in Scotland many, many years. I have found the Scottish people the most generous people. Most generous people. I've had the experience of meeting billionaires. Have you ever met a billionaire? Oh, there's one there. One. I've met two. The first billionaire I met, you know what he said to me? This, this really happened. You know what he said to me? He says... Do you need any money? Now imagine saying that to a poor preacher like me. Do you need any money? What do you say? What do you say? It was, a, it was actually an embarrassment. And uh, I, I really forgot what I said to him. But I must have said something because he gave me a hundred pound. A very generous man. A millionaire but a very generous man. And what I experienced that was. And every time I went to preach in that church, I looked out to see if he was, if he was present. If he was in the meeting. And the other millionaire, he said, I'm going to do something for you and your wife. I'm going to send you on a trip to Israel. 
going to pay all your expenses and you're going to see the land of the Saviour's birth. But unfortunately my dear wife didn't want to go so we didn't go. But you see, generous again. Now, I have met two human billionaires but my heavenly father is greater than all the billionaires because he can meet all you need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus he's generous never stingy generous what a God we have this evening he knows he loves he cares and thank God he can meet your every need my dear friend do you know him are you saved tonight are you converted are you born again if not another opportunity God has given you why not tonight come and say Lord I want Stanley Saviour I want Graham Saviour I want Sandy Saviour and uh, he will meet you and change and transform your life. Now, I thank you for listening very, very patiently. 